Nearly got run down from behind. Good one-on-one -on -one chance coming up. And Geary got rid of the little man. Handed it off to memory. And the Saints kick their first for the final. Buys himself a little room. Doesn't kick it as he would have liked. Falls near the goal square. Max King! Take it cleanly. Sinclair over the top. Might work out OK. Yeah, thank you. Hanabry. On that left of his, over the top, into the pocket, Loney might just play on. Sets it up, all on his lonesome, Jaron Geary. Four contested marks, career high. Never kicked the goal against the dogs, he has, and he has in a final. He takes them all on with about three dogs chasing. Sinclair on the end of the handball. A long ball to Geary, who's been magnificent. Here's Butler, gets away from Gardner. Butler this time doesn't miss. Straight through the middle. Front, he's got a good bounce. He's got Geary in the goal square. This might be it. Jaron Geary, the skipper's got it. The clock's going to beat the dogs. The Saints are going to hang on. Well, it's a terrific one this week to be joining you on Unplugged. Uh, obviously, at this stage, we're, we're not exactly sure what our next podcast is going to look like. We're hoping that we're previewing another final. We, we hoped that last week and we got our wish and we hope that again as we look towards next week's show. For the first time in a decade, we've tasted final success. It's come in the unusual way that 2020 has provided everything with us watching it from home with the game in Brisbane against another Victorian side. But great to see a lot of Saints fans there and the atmosphere and... Um, I'm sure we were as pumped during that third quarter and then after the heart palpitations in the last term when the siren sounded more pumped than they would have been for a long, long time. It was a, a special day and in a year that's been pretty bleak, uh, the, the Saints have been certainly a, a beacon for, for most of us this year and it's been great to see the progress and we earn the right now to challenge the reigning premiers. It's been a week where not a lot has gone right for us off the field in terms of personnel, but we will send 22 out there to take on a Richmond side that would be smarting a little bit after last week and, and maybe we can tap into that. It's not a bad matchup for us generally. We, we understand that they're a fantastic side, but we belted them earlier this year. We've been all right in the last couple of years against them too. That's not in any way underestimating the gravity of the challenge that is in front of us, but it's wonderful to be here talking about it. A three-point win over the Bulldogs uh, for most of the game it, or for most of the second half, it looked like it was going to be a lot more comfortable than that, but... Nothing's ever easy, and it got very tight at the end. But, Nick, uh, yeah, I, I, probably an emotional day for, for a lot of Saints fans to get there and then to win and, and, and still be alive. Yeah, yeah, very emotional. I think that that last quarter, like you, you mentioned, kind of made it even more so. I think at three-quarter time, we were all feeling pretty good about ourselves. And then, you know, 10 minutes into the last quarter, that, that lead starts to, starts to get cut into. And then all of a sudden, it's under a goal, and we're going, shit. This can't happen. Surely this can't happen earlier in the year a couple of times, but surely it can't happen tonight. We're better than that now. Um, and, you know, luckily it, it, uh, it went our way and, and there were some very influential passages of play in those last few minutes, as, as I'm sure we'll get to. But, yeah, wow, it was a, it was a roller coaster of, of a, an afternoon, evening, I guess. But um, just super glad that, that we got another opportunity. That was kind of one of the things that we spoke about last week is that we just wanted another week. Um, you know, we, we know that this year has been a success, I think, for, for all of us. For, as, as a footy club, this has been a successful season already. But we wanted to get a finals win, not just a finals appearance, but a finals win and, and have another crack and get another week. And, and we've got that and, uh, you know, ready, 
ready for the boys to put their best foot forward again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I walked out walked out of the room at three quarter time to get a drink, and when Daniel kicked his goal, I almost walked out of the room because I didn't want to see it anymore. Because <laughs> I was just yeah, that 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 it's never a secure game without something like that happening. It's it's um, but to finally hold on to one of those games, that that is one step, especially being a final against a team who have had recent final success. So. Yeah, it's finally good to hold on to it, hold on to a game where a team's come back at us, and yeah, it's it's just nice to be able to say, "Hey, we've won a final." It's it's happened only last week. Let let's roll on this and keep it going. Let's we're against a team who's been very good recently, but the chances are they've got to drop out soon, sooner or later. You mentioned the the holding on one of those games, you know, with everything's going against us in the last quarter and, and we've seen us drop a couple of games like that already this year, but the confidence that it must give them heading into a second finals game into, into another week of finals footy that they held on and managed to pull it out. And, uh, you know, some of those, some of those guys, there was some, some Jack Steele in the last quarter, Dougal Howard, Nick Caulfield, uh, you know, it, it must give them so much confidence to believe that they really can do it again this week. Yeah, I think, um, and for me, I mean, when they got within and there were still two minutes to play and they were within a kick, you're thinking, well, we haven't been here before. We had some players that had, obviously, and they were influential, mm. but the Bulldogs had been in those epic big finals a lot in recent years and obviously none more so than 2016. But to see in the last couple of minutes, Tim Membry drops behind the ball and takes a contested mark. Rowan Marshall takes a contested mark on the wing. Nick Coffield gets his head over the ball, uh, draws a high tackle, wins a free kick by sort of body lining the ball. Um, obviously, Ryder's ruck work before he got injured, but, but you know Butler and Hanabry's attack on the footy in those closing stages. Just those those sorts of composed things where everyone did what they had to do when it got tense. Now, obviously, we gave away a couple of ill-disciplined, iffy free kicks in the last few minutes. We can sort of debate whether they were there or not, but the, the Mitch Wallace free kick, which he missed, and then Caleb Daniels' free kick as well against Wilkie was probably a little softer than the first one. But the, um, th- those sorts of ill-discipline, you're thinking, geez, we're, we're coughing this up. We're making mistakes. We're, we're living in our defence. We've sort of stifled our, our own run. But, yeah, when it, when it mattered most, we were, we were composed in the last couple of minutes. And they'll, they'll take a lot from that because, obviously, Richmond will test them if they're in the same position again. So, yeah, that was uh, oh so crucial. And, obviously, Jaron Geary uh, obviously needs a mention for, for a lot of his actions throughout the course of the game as well. But, yeah, pleasing. Caulfield, four intercept marks in the last quarter. Dougal Howard played his best game probably of AFL football ever, I would say. Uh, he's had a fabulous year, but he was brilliant. Um yeah, just all of that was, was so pleasing to see. The first-time finalists, too, like Billings, Ross and Membry, mm. um, experienced players, but first-time finalists that had good last quarters as well. One of the things that you kind of mentioned that, that I think I found really impressive was in those last few minutes when it was, it was a bit of a, a Bulldogs wave, you know, from half-back. We, we'd bomb it in, they'd, get, they'd gather at half-back, and it would be a tidal wave of Bulldog possession moving forward and, and the way that we didn't we, we really didn't go into our shells like we had in, in other games we kept hunting the ball and hunting the man which which I found really pleasing really impressive and and gave me I guess a bit of belief that we we had it in us to be able to do it even though there was of course the doubt um, that they were going to run over the top of us but 
the, the way that guys like Caulfield that you mentioned and, um, and Howard and, and these guys just kept hunting the ball, head over the ball, body lining, like, like you said, and just the, the attacking pressure um, was really super impressive from, from what is a really young, inexperienced group overall. Yeah. I think I said last week or predicted that Gears would walk out there a foot taller than usual, being the captain and that. And I think I mean, admittedly stand next to Daniel, he looked about seven foot anyway, but um, <laughs> he, he just stood up. He's saying, I'm, I'm leading my team to a win this week. And he massive, massive game. I mean, it, it, it'd be basic, almost his best game for the club he's ever played. It was um, immense. And it's, the yeah. week to bring that out, it, it's yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, um, it's almost almost a bit of a one of those things where he's you know he he signed the, the one year extension a couple of weeks ago, bit of criticism you know from the fan base from from footy fans etc. And he came out and said, "I'm going to lead these guys to a win. This is this is Jaron Geary, the captain, that you're going to see this week, and and that's exactly what he gave us. Yeah, this yeah, is my club. You're never sure with you know leaders first time in finals. I mean, he played in the 2011 elimination final, but didn't play in the finals in 09 or 10 when he was on the list. Um, you know, how would he handle that? But yeah, he played exactly the type of game he'd want a captain to play. Yes, he missed a shot on the quarter time siren, but he took two contested marks in the first quarter, set up a goal, had a shot, kicked a crucial goal in the third quarter, kicked our last goal, which was pivotal. Uh, took a really strong contested mark at centre-half back in the third quarter, which led to a goal as well. Just did so many things right and and be really interesting to see what way they use him this week. But yeah, I thought the last two weeks, so the the GWS game, the last three weeks, I guess, because we had the week off. But the GWS game, uh, we were really mature. We had a big opportunity in front of us and a lot of pressure. We handled it well. And then in our first final, we handled it well, except for maybe five minutes in the last quarter. And I don't think that was a choke necessarily. It was just sort of something that happened in the game. So I think, yeah, the, the maturity was particularly pleasing in situations where we haven't really been before. Yeah, I mean, there's not much you can, like guys like Aaron Norton taking four contested marks in the last quarter. He had, he didn't do that all game. Um, the Bulldogs, they're, they're midfield, and we know they've got a an incredible midfield, um, and and they got on top for a, for a, a part of the game which they hadn't really before, but it was bound to happen, and it was really about how we responded in those final few minutes, and and really impressive the way that you know, like we've already said, put the bodies on the line, kept hunting, kept playing football. And didn't go into their shell and try and save the game. They 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 went and tried to win the game, um, and you know it was it was the leadership of of guys like Jaron Geary, Tim Membry, Paddy Ryder, um, you know Seb Ross, even the way that the way that he tackled and chased and pressured uh, that that really helped get us over the line. Yeah, it, Bulldogs. I think they seem to kind of just throw everything out of them that last twenty minutes. They basically just went what we've been doing for three quarters isn't working. They had nothing else to lose. Yeah, yeah. Just threw the plan out the window and went, look, just, just get it forward. That's all they, they didn't worry about kicking the ball around, chipping it around. And like they'd been doing it for three quarters. They just went, okay, get it forward. And I think it, it, it kind of caught us off guard a little bit. I think um, luckily we had, as you're saying, Caulfield and um, a few others standing up and taking these marks. Um, otherwise, yeah, it, could have been a very different result because, yeah, it just seems like it hit us all of a sudden and we sort of got, oh, okay, we kind of need, we're, they're not doing what they were doing. We need to change ourselves. So, yeah, it was, it was good hold on. Um, but, yeah, if 
a team does do that earlier in the game, we kind of need to switch on a little bit quicker ourselves. Yeah. I like the um, 10 minutes before half time too. So Mitch Wallace got that ridiculous free kick to go from outside the boundary. But then the next 10 minutes we were really, really good. I mean, Max King took another contested mark. His, his first half was outstanding. They're the two big clutch, uh, clutch marks that he took and, and kicked goals. And then Paddy Ryder's goal before half time. But I can't imagine it stands. Given the occasion, we would have had many more exhilarating moments than when Butler sort of sprinted into the open goal in the, the third quarter. And it looked like we'd broken them at that point. And just the excitement around all of that, I thought votes were, were pretty tricky. I know we've been going sort of one, two, three of late. But for me anyway, that the one vote could have gone a thousand different ways. I could have given one vote to Geary. I could have given one vote to Hunter Clark. I could have given a vote to Caulfield, certainly. Um uh, could have given votes to, to any number of players. Even Membry uh, was in the mix for that. But I gave one vote to Dougal Howard. Thought that in what has been a very good season for Dougal, that was the best game he's played. Uh, at 18 kicks amongst 20 possessions. I uh, gave two votes to Dan Hannibreeve. His influence was exactly why we brought him to the club. And I gave three votes to Paddy Ryder, who was the most influential player on the ground. Without question, it was a shame that he obviously went down with a minute to go. And, and that's potentially quite costly. But... Um, yeah, for me, one vote to Howard, two votes to Hanbury, three votes to Ryder. Hey? Yeah, I've, very similar as you're saying. There's an absolute raft of players you could have given that one to. I mean, it, it was hard to just go, okay, these are the three that I'm going to be giving to. Um, I gave one to Clark, or we almost called him... Um, the matrix. Uh, matrix. He's just time stood still around him. He, he just just did what he wanted with the ball. It was it's was, it was amazing watching someone like that kick out of the tackle. All you go, oh, and here we go. It's gone. All of a sudden, it's out straight to a play, our own player. And he just, how did that happen? So he is going to be something special in, in years to come. So I gave him the one, two to Dougal. Uh, amazing go. Um, I was yeah looking at the stats. 15 rebound 50s, uh, considering the Bulldogs had 24 all up. That was a massive stat. Um, something that it's something you don't really see very often at all. That, that sort of number is just crazy. Um, and three, obviously, Ryder, huge game. And you just sort of look now and go, this is that that's a massive loss for us now. Um, as as we've heard it, he may not have done it again this week, but yeah, now we need Rowan to step up and do it, him to do that. Exactly what he did. Yeah, it was really hard, as both of you guys have mentioned, that these votes could have gone to anyone. And, and so much of it is a, a matter of perspective. Um, you know, we asked on Twitter, you know, who, who we thought the, uh, the, the best three on the ground were, and, and we got a number of different answers. Um, which was quite amazing. I haven't had an experience like that with a, a St Kilda game uh, in recent memory that, that it's been so open for, for interpretation. But I gave one to Dan Hanabry. I thought his first half was incredible. He led from the front. He won nearly every contest that he went to. His skills, his skills are so underrated um, with, with ball in hand. And he, he very rarely misses a target. I thought he was he was phenomenal. A little bit quieter in the second half, but you know, stood up when it counted. I gave two to Paddy Ryder. Um, probably, probably the best player on on the ground. Like you said, H. I think he was probably the the, the player of the game um, in terms of uh, playing 
impact um, and probably his best game for the club since, since he's come over and, and will be a, a huge loss. Uh, and three, I gave to Jaron Geary for immense leadership. And, and it wasn't just leadership because he did his job uh, as a defensive forward as well. You know, he, he stopped the run of Johannesson or Caleb Daniel, whoever he was on at the time. The, whichever guy he was on, he stopped. And, and uh, the Bulldogs played a bit of, of moving the magnets to try and get him out of the play at, at times. But also kicked, kicked some really important goals and, and provided a, a marking target. Um, and really, you know, we had some had some good forward play from Max King and uh, and Dan Butler and stuff as well. But Geary really held that that structure together um, from a kind of a, a small to mid sized forward uh, perspective, and and just really really impressive game from from Jaron Geary. I th- honourable mention to to Dougal Howard, like you mentioned, his his ability to get his hands on the ball, like you mentioned, H, and and make a difference uh, wasn't just. 18 kicks and, and 15 uh, rebound 50s. But he had 604 metres gained, which from a fullback is is remarkable. And what's even more remarkable is that he wasn't just bombing it forward to, to space or to a contest. He did it at, at 85% disposal efficiency, which is, I mean, it's it's unheard of for, for most players, let alone a fullback. And, and it's pretty rare to see in today's footy, any player, um, midfield, wing, whatever, have 600 metres gained, let alone a, a you know, a key defensive pillar like that. So on the program now, as I say, those votes were very, very difficult, and we'll get to some of the uh, the listener responses and, and nominations a bit later on. But a former Carlton Premiership player has just coached St Kilda into a finals campaign and a finals victory. We, in the past, had a Carlton Premiership player coach St Kilda into a finals campaign and register a finals victory, and we'll catch up with him now. It's Ken Bomber-Sheldon. Devon Port, look at that. Now that tells you what discipline is all about. The man who's played in the premiership sides telling the youngster what self-discipline's all about. Newport attacks the goal, low goes the ground, it bounces, Kelly will probably run it towards the boundary line, he's caught. Devon Port, Craven's on his own in the goal square. Devon Port puts his eights in front. Sensational stuff here at the MCG. 80,000 people are watching a thriller. Well, we look back at our next special guest. If we reflect on 1987 for St Kilda, it was a very significant year. Nicky Winmar would debut for the club. Nathan Burke would debut for the club. Danny Frawley would take over as captain. Tony Lockett would win a Brownlow medal and a Coleman medal. And Ken Sheldon would arrive at the club as well from Carlton. He would play 53 games for the Saints over three seasons before taking over as coach in 1990 from a club legend in Darrell Baldock, and he would lead St Kilda back into the finals for the first time in 18 years in the 1991 season. And whilst this current drought hadn't been 18 years, it's great to see St Kilda back in the finals, and it's good to reflect on that time. And Ken, uh, welcome for welcome to Unplug, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, you brought back a lot of memories in your in your introduction. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I guess when you arrived at the club, so you've come from a very successful team where you played in premierships at Carlton. You arrived at St Kilda, which had a very different history. When you walked in the club on day one, did you envisage in three years' time I'll be coach and in four years' time we'll be back in the finals for the first time in nearly two decades? I can't imagine you would have had all of that scripted out. No, no, that's for sure. Um, When I walked in, what I wanted to do was get to know everybody's names and get to understand how how the club um, could work. That was – and enjoy my football. 
Um, I'd had a couple of rough years with injury. And, um, you know, as many players know over their journey, um, you can get branded. Um, I had to sort of try and break that. Um, so, yeah, it was about getting yourself prepared, um, setting yourself for, uh, you know, the year that was ahead and applying yourself not every week, but also every day and every hour of every day so you could play and make a good contribution to um, to your new environment. So I really enjoyed, um, you know, those years. We, we weren't that successful on field, but, you know, we had a wonderful coach in Daryl Baldock and uh, he... he he, um, you know, he was recruited across from Tasmania and uh, changed his lifestyle, um, you know, for the Saints. And uh, we had a wonderful president in uh, Travis Pays. And, uh, you know, they were really passionate about the club. And um, we were really going, going, going pretty well um, on our way sort of from the doldrums, as to speak. Not a lot of money, not a lot of facility, not a lot of depth in our playing list. Um, but, you know, things started to, to change, like the Trevor Barker, Robert Elphingston, you know, the Greg Burns, um, those type of players were um, were instrumental. And a year before, in 1986, Peter McConville and Wow Jones had come down from Carlton. And um, they were there, two of my best mates. And uh, it's why Alex Marcoux, Ian Muller and myself basically came down the Nepean Highway, in, as it was in those days. And, um, you know, great times, one of the best things ever done. And a bit of a two-parter to, to start off. Firstly, how did you end up? How, how did you end up at St Kilda? What was that process from leaving Carlton to arriving at, at Moorabbin? And secondly, what were those first few weeks like? As, as Paco mentioned earlier, you had a really successful career at Carlton, three premierships and, and leading goal kickers and all that sort of stuff. Um, what was it like walking into the door of a club that historically is not successful, um, hadn't had that success that, that you had had and, and you know, it was, was 15 years since their the last yeah. final series. Yeah, it's, yeah you, you sort of positioned that question pretty well. Um, I was going to be an assistant coach at East Fremantle and I was over there um, in Perth when Murray Ablett, the St Kilda uh, GM of footy and recruiting in front of her, um, turned up at our hotel um, and amongst other things, we had a reasonable weekend. <laughs> and, uh, and then between... As you did back then. <laughs> between, um, between that sort of influence and uh, that of a couple of great mates, as I said, in Wow Jones and particularly Peter McConville, um, you know, I thought about it and I thought bringing... Like, we had four children and to take them all the way to the other side of the country, I thought, well, it's realistic. And also to play in a top competition, right? Now, the Saints weren't in the top of the top competition, but I thought, wow, let's let's see what can happen here. So, and then Daryl Bulldog was very persuasive, and um, you know, he, he was uh, he was just very persuasive. So, so I thought, well, yeah, we'll do that. And um, the difference when stepped in the door was just a standard the performance of training. Um, fellas, you know, in those days, quite frankly, would walk in. And I don't exaggerate this, but they might have a half a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken as they walked into training. Like they had no intention of training, you know. They had no intention of of getting uh, something out of the night. I, I don't know even really still to this day understand why they even bothered to come to training, you know, with that sort of attitude. Because and 
and things were, you know, getting knocked off from the place and when you'd put something down and it'd be gone, you'd ask about it, and, you know, just scratching your head saying, what, what is going on here? And uh, anyway, a few got together and started to lift that, like as many had tried over um, times. But, you know, when you're, when you're that desperate for a few bucks and that desperate for, a, like as we were, um, and I certainly found that as uh, when I stepped in the door of management as coaching, um, you know, it was really tough. It was probably a, an uneven playing field in comparison to Carlton back them days. Um, you know, so it was pretty tough. But at the end of the day, there was enough players there and enough really good people in amongst the place for us to bob our head up again. And then we sort of went down a bit and then we bobbed up again and we went down a bit and we bobbed up again and down a bit and here we are again, you know. Sounds like 150 years of St Kilda Footy Club. <laughs> yeah, that does, doesn't it? And it's, um, but it's a tough competition. You know, it's interesting to see during that time, from that time to now, how many teams have played the most finals. And I think it might be Geelong and West Coast. I think it might be. Um, you know, the powerful clubs. And, uh, you know, if you look at the West Coast, they've, like, powerful in, in every area. And then if you look at Geelong, well, you know, to get seven father sons is sort of a stroke of luck, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a couple like a, an ablet, um, you know, makes a bit of a difference. And, uh, you know, we've... We're, um, and, and that's what I found the difference. But what I really loved about the Saints, you know, apart from the nightclub and the uh, and, and all the fun and the, you know the animal enclosure and uh, just the real passion and the humour, the humour of St Kilda supporters, is just uh, it's unique and it's 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 just gold. And um, and the nervousness of a St Kilda supporter. You know, when you're sort of, you might have won three in a row, but they're not expecting to win the fourth one in those days. They're sort of saying, shit, it's coming. You know, we're, we're going we're gonna to cop it, you know. <laughs> and you might be walking by somebody in the footy and they'd be nervous as kittens. But just to get through that and grow through that, you know, it's taken a lot of years. But I sort of sense where, where the Saints are getting there now. Yeah. Is it, I don't know, help, help that probably a bit of insight into it. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Um, so when... As Nick saying, when you've walked in the door there, and over the three years that you've played there, did you did you find that you changed yourself a bit? Did did you yourself have more impact in changing anything that you did, or was it the club itself and the people around you that sort of changed how you played or how you did things, or just? Well, I worked out pretty quickly, and uh, Doc said to me, "Kenny, you're slowing down a bit. We might try in the back pocket," and I said, "Well." That's a pretty good move, actually, because the ball's always down here, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, so we had a bit of a laugh about that. And, and uh, so I started my career in the forward pocket, went into the centre and ruck roving and ended up in the back pocket, right? So they did the, the whole gambit. And I couldn't believe really how simple it was to play in the back pocket, like just read the ball off the opponent's boots and time and time again, you could just intercept. So the intercept mark and the link-up handball and switch direction of play. And because the forward pressure that's in the game today wasn't in that in the um, game in those days. So, you know, if you've got a kick, you might not have anyone around you for a couple of metres and you could sort of take a bit of time and, 
jig and zag and do that sort of stuff. But but it was, <laughs> you know, the, the, the players, look, we had some wonderful players. But you've got to get your wonderful players playing most of your games for most of the year. And, you know, all of us would have some injuries here and there, so we're always disrupted. And then when you went for the depth, we, we sort of didn't have it because we weren't necessarily such a destination club. You know, people would perhaps go to Collingwood rather than come to St Kilda or they would go to, you know, Geelong or they would go to Carlton or they would go to Essendon, you know, and, and we would miss um, on many occasions. Um, so St Kilda went through a strategy. If you remember back then, they they approached quite a number of Carlton players in that time. And then a few years later, they approached quite a few Hawthorne players. So there was Paul Harding, Peter Russo, Robert Hanley and a number of others, and then Chris Whitman and others, Russell Morris, Sean Ralph Smith. You know, and all those players brought those experiences from those successful clubs into the fabric and framework of the St Kilda lifestyle. And all that started to help, started to sort of fill the jug so it was a little more, you know, a little more uh, professional. So 1990, you, you take over as coach. It doesn't happen much these days that, that people end up coaching guys that they've directly played with as teammates, and especially that, that soon where you were, you were a teammate in 89 and then a coach in 1990. How did that go? I mean, and, and I guess you look at some of the big personalities like Tony Lockett. I imagine you would have learned a bit from playing with him that then helped you coach him. Yeah, well, Darren, t- Tony and I you know, were an advocate for how good he was as a player. I believe he's the best footballer I've ever seen play the game. Um, I was very fortunate to have Peter Hudson at my right-hand side too as um, as director of football and, um, and, and you know, the, the, another great forward. So there was a bit of an insight there. Not, not that they were, you know, they, they were a bit different in a lot of ways, but they were both exceptional players. And I also had Stewie Lowe, who's one of the, you know, finest players that I've ever seen play the game. Um, tough, resilient, hard, you know, 20 marks a week, just enormous play under duress. Um, and Lockett was like that also. Um, Nicky Winmar is one of the greatest players I've ever seen play the game. Gilbert McAdam, David Grant across half back, Danny Frawley at fullback. And, you know, if you could have played Danny in the midfield, like how good might have he been in there? Like there was just all these machinations of, um, of this team. And as you said in your introduction, you know, Nathan Burke, Robert Harvey, uh, Mickey Dwyer, Kane Taylor, all these ferrets, all those kids were just coming through then. You know, they were right in their infancy. Um, so, so but, but to really answer the core of the question, it was to get their buy-in and earn their, and, and gain their respect and, and their, their, their trust, right? explain to them what we were doing, ask them for a contribution, and they did contribute. Those blokes all put together, um, and Jerry Ryan was uh, uh, funded it, um, of JK Caravans, um, but all those boys got together and worked their butts off to revamp the facilities that we had down there and paint them and, you know, all that sort of stuff, um, and, then, and then design the training drills Right? So it's not all about me saying bang. It was more about the players saying, oh, okay, like, how can we work that out? So they got some buy-in and, and we're sort of trying to get, um, I don't know, three years out of two with them. 
you know, in terms of footy maturity, by by um, teaching them to drink rather than giving them a drink. Um, that was sort of the philosophy, and um, you know, I didn't have too many uh, too many um, blues. You know, over the years, I got a couple of them tell me to get stuff, and that's fine. And I had a couple of them stick it up your whatever, and that was fine. But it's never easy to tell a kid or, or anyone that um, you know <laughs> you'd like them to be doing something different than they see that they're different. Like their expectations a little different to reality from what you're doing, and that's one of the toughest things of the coach. You know, when you've got to tell a player that he's been dropped or he's been traded or you know what? Always end end his career at the club. It's um, you know, it's pretty incredible. One of the funny ones with that was Jimmy Cracker. So Jimmy, we recruited through the mid-season draft. We got two great players, or we got a number, but Jimmy got thirty-six possessions in his first game versus the Bulldogs. My first game of a coach. Tony Locker kicked ten goals. Mickey Dwyer was enormous, um, and Timmy Peakin played on the wing. And Tim, Timmy was a a, 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 mid, a June pickup as well. So. Um, but Jimmy Crack at the end of the end of the road had come, and um, I met him in those days down behind the back of the uh, the stand where the the old officers were at Moorabbin there. And um, I said, oh, I need to see you upstairs later, Jimmy. And he said, Ah, oh, don't worry about it, Bomb. He says, I know what you're doing. He said, um, It's been good, you know. The end of the times come. Um, you haven't got a red back, have you? Twenty bucks. He's nipped before on the line. Got me a beauty. You know, but he is a wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, he uh, he played some good footy, what, but he, what was, no, he, he was he was just um, well, it's about naked. I think he was about thirty-two at that at that point. What was the the driving force for you taking the the senior coaches role? I mean, you'd, you'd been at a powerhouse, you'd seen the other side and the the lack of success and lack of um, modernity, I guess. But did could you tell in nineteen ninety when you took over that we were kind of on the cusp of of maybe something special? Uh, I knew I knew we had some talent. Right, you know, when you got Low, Lockett, Frawley, and Grant, right, and I'd seen Winmar, Harvey, and Burke, Jason Daniels, Mickey Dwyer, you know, you've seen these blokes really come together. Uh, you know, I knew we just needed a little bit of clarity, of purpose, a little bit of direction. Um, like, and Doc was good at that, he was wonderful, but he unfortunately suffered a medical condition and you know couldn't couldn't keep coaching um so uh i went into um what i thought was get one more year of playing you know because i thought oh well 184 games or whatever i am and uh blah blah, blah. i remember the 200 club night games and all that sort of stuff but yeah i keep playing i'll see what i can happen and you know we might we might go all right i think i'll have another crack Anyway, Murray said, no, no, don't worry about that, mate. He said, um, go home and think about coming back with the proposal to coach the club. So I did, and uh, I put that together. Um, there were a couple of documents which were um, fairly, uh, oh, well, I suppose, innovative at the time. Um, and I was able to sit down in front of uh, the board of directors, um, led by the president, Travis Pays, the, the um, vice president, Jerry Ryan, Des Kelly, Brian Healy, and uh, you know some just some wonderful people. And um, in the end, um, they asked me back for a second interview, and then uh, they asked me back a third time, and they said, um, 
we'd like you to consider taking on the role. So that's, then I shit myself. <laughs> if it, do, do you recall what some of those innovative measures were at the time that, that would have been brand new to, to the club or to the, to the competition? Yeah, the, 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 there was a bit of that. But, you know, it's sort of, it, it's just getting the basics right, eliminating excuses. Like, like we would have a player that might slip over in the Moorabbin mud. Now, that can happen to anybody. Stops have fallen out, right? And then, well, why have his stops fallen out? Like, Jimmy Scott's been doing the stops there for years. He, he's knocked them in. What's going on? And you go into that boot room, and it was mouldy and wet. The heater, you know, no heater, broken. Been asked 40 times to be fixed, but never been fixed, you know? So the boots were just like the footies. You train with footies that were like, like balloons. And it's just stuff like that, just getting that right. You know, we had leg press. We had it in the dunnies over the, on the old wing, you know, which was locked up and closed because we couldn't pay the bill to keep the dunnies open. Like the plumber eventually said, no, nah, enough's enough. And all of a sudden, all this gym equipment went in there in the padlock. And then, you know, a couple of years later, I found out we were actually still paying a lease on that bit of gym equipment. So it's a pretty amazing stuff back then days. Little bits and pieces, you know. And as sort of life goes on, the stories they become a little bit more, uh, I don't know, you sort of tell them with a little bit more probably or not as realistic as perhaps they were, but they, yeah, all that stuff really hurt us. And so we we, um, we went to Sandringham Football Club and um, offered them to put the lights up there. And we did that for three and a half thousand bucks it was back then. We didn't have it, but we got found it somehow and put those lights up and they allowed us to train uh, through the final series in, in that, at that oval because the Moorabbin oval in those days, like it was built on a tip. And if we got some rain, um, our players would be pulling calf muscles or hammies or very sore because of the mud. So you get out and play on the Moorabbin, get out and train down there and come Saturday at Waverley, which is a huge big ground. And that's where the finals were played in those days. Um, our blokes running on top of the ground flying, just the preparation of it. So just little things like that, videos up behind the goals to just show players, you know, where they were and shouldn't be running or things like that. Like, you know, you got Lockett that's a superstar, four blokes hanging off him. Well, get out of the bloody way and just crumb it at the front, you know. <laughs> um, don't try and compete with him. Um, and most times you win them anyway. And it was good to see, just on that, a little segue, but um, into Cox's, big Cox for Collingwood, um, kicking those three goals in three minutes the other night um, just took me right back to Tony Lockett. You know, he's just to see him do that, you know. And I was reading through a couple of the records in preparation for night, for tonight, like kicking 10 goals, 12 goals, 15 goals, 9 goals, 7 goals, 8 goals, like just huge stuff, magnificent stuff. So you talked about how your transition to coaching was how did the players that you had played with, how, how was their reactions? Did they take it on board? Oh, this is quite easy. Or was there a few that were a bit like, oh, I'm not too sure about this? No, I don't think so. I think I was, you know, well, you'd have to ask them. But from my point of view, I selected them or not selected them, dropped them or, or ended their career, basically, you know, which all happened with a few of those blokes, like the, Great mates of mine at Carlton and great mates while I was playing at St Kilda. But at the end of the day, when, you know, it's years later, 
some of those relationships are not so much fractured, but, you know, you're mates, but you're not great mates, which you might have been, you know. And there are players like that. You know, there are players like, well, I'll just name a couple like Jason Daniels, for example, or Timmy Allen, for example, you know, just wonderful people, wonderful players. We're trying to swap them out the door for other players in. And, you know, it just really hurts in the long run. But you, you've got to try and do those things. Um, you know, you, you've got to try, um, but you can't get them right all the way, mate. And um, that's the same same with when you're, um, you know, settle up with you know, players that you, you played with. Um, yeah, it's, you know, not easy, but you get through it. I always look at some of the numbers of that era and you spoke about Tony Lockett. I mean, between 89 and 92, he kicked 402 goals in 63 games. It's beyond extraordinary that the run he had in that period. I mean, in 89, if he wasn't injured, he would have kicked 170 or something. And in 1991, he missed seven games and kicked 127 goals. So if you maintain the average, he kicks 170-odd in that period. But uh, 89 docks last year, we were 6-4 and four and then lost about seven games by less than 10 points. And then 1990 in your first year, I reckon we were 7-5 and five or 7-6 and six, and then similar thing happened. And 91, it, it clicked and all fell into place. So I think we got the wobbles a little bit, but then came back with a, a streak of wins and made the finals. Can you sort of take us through that year and I guess what it meant to, to break through in, in 1991? Yeah, well... We always got the wobbles at some point in a season back in those days. And interesting, even in today's football, a lot of clubs still get a bit of the wobbles, you know, for three, four weeks, five weeks, where they can't quite snag a game. Um, you know, and whether that's just the ability just to... Well, you hear the word composure, you know, a lot in today's footy. We used to coach that all the time, but there's so much with composure. It's it's on the field and off the field. It's approaching the contest, it's in the contest, and it's after the contest, you know. And that's hard to do for, yeah, 25 weeks in a Melbourne winter. You know, pretty hard to do. And the level of professionalism, the level of... Uh, well, the excuses that players could find if they if they needed to or wanted to. Like it's a different world today, the AFL football scene than it was then. Um, but it was it was sort of it was on its way. And yeah, that that's why I think those sort of um you know, injuries like um that season you talked about eighty nine, I reckon Tony had um Round 10, I reckon he had a round nine, maybe even had 90, maybe 70 goals. It was 71 goals in nine rounds. Yeah. 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 <laughs> An amazing thing. And, and then he gets injured. Um, and the, you know, the teams used to play in a certain way. The opposition can try and stop him, but as I said, they, they couldn't. Yeah. When he was half injured, they might have, but when he's fully fit in those days, it was just, you know, it was pretty incredible. So, yeah, and, and late in that season, Daryl Bulldog's genius, he put um, put Nicky Winmar at full forward, opened up the forward line, and Nicky, like, kicked eight, six, four, you know, just brilliant, because like, you couldn't beat him one-on-one -on -one either. And, um, yeah, that, that, you know, that's sort of the, the thing. Like, if you look at footy, you know, you've got to be able to win the one-on-ones, you've got to have skill, and skill's got to be able to stand up under fatigue um, and also under under a bit of a jolt mentally. 
in those days, whether it be a knock or whether it be a bit of verbal or it be whatever, something else. You've got to be able to run. You've got to be able to make good decisions. You've got to have the desire to want to keep competing and persist to, to endure. And as we talked about, that composure. But then there's got to be something that's bigger than all that. And it's, um, you know, that word teamwork. And players have got to learn to care and give and just have an awareness that together, you know, they do achieve more. And it's, and it's we. The ability to say thanks and the ability to talk in a tone, you know, not an aggressive, to, to do it right. All those little things have to come into that player's persona to be, um, or to come out on top, if you like, and play finals. Um, now, to play in the finals in those days, you had to win about 12 games out of 22. Um, or 11 out of 20. That sort of, that sort of name. And, um, you know, that's a, well, if you look at it, back to those coaches we talked about, um, you know, if you have a season where you sort of do an under 50% win-loss record, um, you don't last long. You know? <laughs> so, so where it sort of ends up. And um, interesting to have a look. I don't know, players, you know, you play 100 games, play four years. How many games do you play? How many do you win? How many do you lose? It's pretty interesting. Our numbers, at least as a club now, St Kilda are, are on the up. You know, they're on the up, which is a good thing. You're, you're one of the few St Kilda coaches to have a, a win-loss record over 50%. I think your, your stands at, at 55%, so that's, that's something to be pretty proud of. But what was... Your Paco mentioned that, um, that 91 season. What were the fundamentals of your, I guess, your coaching style and the behaviour that was required? And what was it that clicked in 91? Yeah, well, I think just the maturity of those players. They were getting games into them. Um, you know, those things I talked about before, those probably nine or ten uh, key elements of a successful player, a successful person in football on the footy field. Um, if you're a coach and you hone on, uh, let's just say, Jason Daniels, perhaps kicking mightn't have been um, one of his strengths, or perhaps uh, physical fitness, Tony Lockett, like an asthmatic and prone to be a little overweight, might have been one of his real strengths. So you'd have a month or a two or three where, um, or a player mightn't be that tuned into training and you know, continually late or all the different things that happened in those days. Um, you'd be very careful not to hone in on those things too often where you piss the bloke off and a few of his mates and a few of his family and a few of his friends and a few members and a few supporters and da, 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 and all of a sudden you've got a bit of a tidal wave going on. Um, so you've got to be very careful to have an awareness of all that sort of stuff. And uh, so, to, so to get across that, you kept throwing things back at the playing group and asking them the questions on how we should be training and having them take the training drills. Like have a Dean Rice take some handball drills or a Mickey Dwyer take some tackling drills or a Gilbert McAdam, you know, take some marking drills or whatever it might be. Nicky Winmar takes some kicking drills. Like it just it went, it just went on and on and on. Um, and, and so you just worked on their strengths. Now our strengths were to win that ball in the middle and get it down there quickly to a lock it in a low. Like it made sense, yeah? And as was talked about earlier, Tony, subject to injury, was essentially unstoppable, as was Dunstall at Hawthorne, as was Ablett at Geelong. We were lucky that we had Spud that could pretty much 
nail both of those blokes. No club had anyone that could knock off Tony. You know, it was pretty, <laughs> it was pretty good. Um, but they also had really talented players in the midfield. And so, so what would happen is, we, you know, there's some big scores kicked in those days. Like you get 60, 70, 80,000 people at MCG and you'd see 35 goals kicked. It's pretty fantastic stuff, like really good footy. Um, but when it broke down, when it broke down, a poor execution of a skill, a lack of effort just to run again from someone or a poor effort to tackle or a missed goal, which still happens today, even though they're kicking off carpet. Um, just, you know, the defence wasn't in the game as it is today. Um, so the opposition would then get a break on you. But our operation, if you like a modus of operation, was to win the 50-50 ball, win the one-on-one, and get it quickly down in there to the lockets and lows. And if that wasn't on, have the strength of mind to keep trying to go through the middle. Keep trying to go through the middle. Because what would happen is the opposition would stick numbers back in the corridor and our blokes, and just wash my hands, when they weren't tuned in mentally, would just get wider and wider and wider and go off the screen and, you know, they build the fences to keep them in. Yeah? So you had to keep pulling them back in just to keep bashing the ball through there. Now, there was something else in footy those days. So if you were sitting back in the hole and you had a low or a locket and their knees are that wide, you know, like the great one with Rodney Maynard was, oh, Rocket, I wouldn't stand there too long. <laughs> yeah. so it's just that just after half time at Rabin that was. So, uh, you know, there's Roddy Maynard for the LA Crows just shitting himself for the first 15 minutes of, <laughs> of the third quarter. <laughs> it's been rock, you know. <laughs> so you had to, you had to really just, and mental strength, you know, just to keep working through that. You just had to keep growing as a group. So speaking of honing in on something and coaching advice and that sort of thing, Queen's birthday, 1992, you've decided to walk down to the fence, hone in on one player in particular. Then what did you say to him that made him resent it so much that he'd come out and kick the winning goal? Yeah, that's exactly. Thank you. Was that his only reply or? Yeah, that's the only way he could reply. Um, Look, Craig was an extremely talented player. Craig Devonport we're talking about. Uh, he played 100 games with the club. Um, kicked five goals in a game. Kicked five goals in a quarter. There's very few players that had that talent. Um, extremely talented basketballer and a you know, lovely young fella. Um, but for those very reasons that I just talked about, some of our players had a tendency to try and grab the ball out here rather than pushing it through there. And... Um, It'd work, and when it worked, it looked good. But when it didn't work, it would go, you know, for example, over to a Tony Francis, to a Scotty Russell, to a Mick McGuan, straight into, you know, bang and then calling where you'd go, you know, like time and time again. So you just had to keep these blokes in the funnel, in the funnel, in the funnel, and they could either crumb it or pressure it somehow. Um, anyway, he did kick the winning goal, and unbelievably, he crumbed it off the boundary line. <laughs> But, but uh, I love that. And um, actually, there, there was uh, two great reporters, of which one was Michael Sheehan, and uh, they split us up as we walked into the rooms afterwards. 
So two old pro reporters and they got an answer off Craig and an answer off me, which we hadn't had time to um, collaborate our answer. Um, and frankly, I can't even remember what was said, but it was more bit more like, hey, mate, we've trained at this all year. Um, how about you get the front square? And it uh, might have been said a little different than that. But I was a bit stiff. There were 80,000 people all looking down the other end and one bloody photographer that would see me jump out of the box and go down there. Just one on that, though, uh, the great Peter Hutchins said, what are you doing? I said, I'm just going down everywhere. But he said, oh, I'm not sure I'd do that. <laughs> <laughs> one of the most iconic moments. But obviously, 91 finals, we lose an absolute classic to Geelong. 1992, we beat Collingwood at Waverley and then lose to Footscray. So we're tracking up. 93... We had some great wins, beat Collingwood at Victoria Park, beat Carlton at Princess Park, beat Geelong by 15 goals at Waverley. Um, had some, beat North Melbourne twice and they were on top of the ladder for most of the year, but obviously had some lapses and missed the finals. And we spoke to Nathan Burke a bit about it and he said that the club had a habit of being impatient where something like that would happen and they'd make a snap decision and sack a coach, for example, saying when really you've got to hold your nerve and, and it's situations like that where that, that can happen. And we only went 10 and 10. It wasn't a disaster. Can you take exactly. us through your, uh, your departure? Because it seems on most measurements to, to not exactly be fair based on the, the run of the team. Yeah, no, I think you summed it up pretty well. I think Nathan's um, given you a pretty good um, reflection of what happened. Um, but then also from my point of view, like, you know, I'm, I was 33 and probably a bit immature too, you know. So sort of the meetings that went on about where the club and how we were going to go forward and what we were going to do and... You know, who they wanted to sell and who they wanted to... No, it was all... No, I didn't necessarily agree with most of it or all of it. Um, and I thought we could go another level the following year um, as all the things we've talked about started to manifest and mature and the players were hungry for another run at it. Um, you know, and, and loyalty, like strength through loyalty is our uh, slogan. And I kept... I reckon that one's pretty right. You know, like we had a group of players that were coming through together and, you know, you got to love them. Like they, you know, 300 plus games, a number of them that are all just top line fellas and great families and just fantastic. And, um, you know, we've been so close, but why have we only been so close? Probably that bit of impatience is, um, is one of the keys. And if you look at some great examples that are talked about every time a premiership coach and his team win one and that coach could have been sacked five years ago, but the club held his nerve. Like Bomber Thompson's good. Hardwick is good. Examples of that. Um, you know, and there are, there are others. Um, it didn't quite happen that way with me. And I went and coached elsewhere and did other things and, you know, had a wonderful life and hasn't worried me, but that, yeah, we just sort of never connected when it probably really mattered at that time. In the middle of that season, we'd lost um, too many games in a row in the middle of that year. And that's where the outside noise that I talked about um, starts to get people and get some jittery. And uh, when you've got a couple that aren't in your corner, that's, that's how easy it can happen. And votes have only got to go... Uh, Five five, and the president's got you, and it's only got to go the other way a bit, and um, you're out. You know, four six, done. Cool. You mentioned I don't know the word, by the way, but that's how simple it is to me. 
You mentioned that there were some some disagreements with the board or with the president around the direction of the club. And was there anything in particular that, that was kind of a fundamental no from you that you completely disagreed with or, or that was potentially the, the straw that broke the camel's back and, and the thing that made them go, hang on, we, we've got to move, we've got to move Ken on? Yeah, yeah, it probably was. Like that, that They had um, some pretty good plans, which in the end, you know, Tony went to Sydney, Tony Lockett went to Sydney. Like we had Collingwood offer a million dollars cash for him two years before. Well, you know, that cash would have been good, but what would have we done? You know, we wouldn't have played in finals. We wouldn't have done it. You had to give people hope. You know, we had to give people hope. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to to um, to uh, keep, obviously keep Lockett. Um, they did the year, but then a the year later off he went. Um, you know, so that, that was pretty sort of, pretty instrumental from my point of view. Um, but, you know, it's just, just the way things turn out sometimes. It just, just happens that way. Um, and for me, it was, you know, up the track, see you later. Um, but I, I sort of never offended by anybody or never offended anybody, I don't think. It was just the way that it unfolded and, you know, I, I still see most of those people most years somewhere at the footy functions somewhere and always have a laugh and a smile and uh, just keep rolling. So it's you know, no real drama, but I sort of, I think, really fortunate to have had a crack at coaching league footy. Um, really enjoyed it. Um, but, you know, four years was uh, the end of the road for me. Now, you saw Plugger both on the field and from the coach's box, which, which would be one day that you'd go back to just to be able to watch again? Like you got the win against Carlton in kicking the 10. You got the dozen against Sydney and Brisbane and Adelaide and quite a few bags. There is there one that really sticks here. Go. You just love to sit there and watch that one once more. Uh, yeah, probably that last quarter of the 92 last home and away game when uh, Carlton played Melbourne. Now, I might have this wrong, but this is what I reckon happened. We were maybe half a goal either behind or in front at three-quarter time. We had to win to get in the finals. And the three-quarter time speech, with the quick consult with Danny and Tony, was if we just open it up, because Stewie Lowe wasn't playing this day. He had a, 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 a bleeding kidney. Um, was able to recover, thankfully, in time to play in the final the following week. We played Danny Frawley centre-half forward. And I said, Danny, just get, we get everybody out of the forward line, and no matter if they've got four or 14 back in there, we're just going to bomb it on Tony's head. And Plugger, you can kick four, can't you? And he said, I can kick four. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Kick four goals, and we went into the final. So it was uh, pretty simple. And uh, I, I've never seen that quarter of footy, but that's probably the answer. And I, I could be so far off it, but I think that's what happened. No, you're spot on. At, at three-quarter time, we were two points down. We kicked four in the last quarter. He kicked all of them. The, the highlights of that game are on YouTube. I don't know if the whole game is, but the highlights are up there. He kicks one from the boundary. I think we were kicking to the punt road end in the last quarter, if uh, that serves me correctly. But, um, yeah, quite quite remarkable. But, yeah, I actually heard... And the, heard ground, the ground in the day was, you know, like the weather is... This week, like it was just muddy and wet. Yeah. And plus on top of that, like we had the pressure of having to win to play in the finals, yeah. which was something that our players weren't used to. 
you know. So to get over that was um, was quite meritorious of them. And then the following week, we we knocked off the Magpies by eight points, which was one of the greatest days of my life enjoyed in footy. Um, to see the jubilation on the players, their families, the staff, their families, and the St Kilda people it was just uh, it was just out of this world. It was an incredible day. Yeah, my dad speaks often about that day. I think he took me there as a very, very young man. But uh, we, we appreciate you uh, you joining us on the, the program. Your, your journey with the Saints was extremely memorable. Some some remarkable games, some remarkable moments, and, and put the club into a position where we hadn't been for a generation or more. So you should be certainly very proud of that. And, and as we let you go, a question you might have been asked once or twice over the journey when uh, when Wayne Harms knocked you that ball in the grand final. Was it out of bounds? Well, I'm, I'm not sure, Darren, but uh, the answer that I always give to those questions, and 95% of them are from Collingwood supporters, so this is a rare one. It's not from a Collingwood supporter. Um, it happens every day of my life until probably the last two or three years. It started to drop off a bit, and it's probably only happened twice this week, and you're the second time. But seeing you both for the Saints and not the Pies, I'll say... Well, it was just in, you know. I thought it was just in, and the umpire was correct. But if you're a Collingwood supporter, I say, mate, you wouldn't believe it. And um, you tell them a bit of bullshit and say that it's been um, proven scientifically it was out of bounds, and geez, they did, they go off. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can talk to them about 92 as well. But, Ken, thank you. Uh, great to get some stories from you, and we appreciate you giving us uh, so much of your time today. No, pleasure, fellas. Good on you, and uh, yeah, see how you go. This uh, be exciting, isn't it, this weekend? So, Let's, uh, fingers crossed. Yeah, we live for this, absolutely. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Thanks, Ken. Really proud. Probably took five to ten years of my life in the last two minutes. <laughs> um, really proud of the efforts of everybody across the board. And to pick a best player and all that, it's mighty tough. There's a lot of contributors and a lot of people that have moments in the game. And that's what Final Sprint is about. Take your opportunity when it comes. Alright? Rest up. Let's get on here, was Ken Sheldon there and also the thoughts of Brett Ratton after the game the immediate reaction I think is something we can all concur with losing five to ten years of your life watching that game in the uh in that last quarter the, the last 10 minutes especially but um yeah we also share the other uh, the pride that does come out of it next stop is Richmond the reigning premiers uh three consecutive finishes in the top three uh at least the prelim in the last three years obviously for the Tigers so they are the benchmark of the last three years but in saying that Coming off a loss to Brisbane, we, we belted them earlier in the year when they were a bit out of sorts. And when we belted them earlier in the year, Paddy Ryder did not play in that game. Uh, Rowan Marshall did. Josh Battle did. Jake Carlisle did a pretty good job in defence. And obviously, we won't have him. And Ben Long was okay that day as well. And we won't have him after the uh, the tribunal stitch-up during the week. But um, at times three... But we, we look ahead to that game knowing that we've got to make some changes. Obviously, the news has been improving on Josh Battle as the week goes along, uh, coming off that foot injury that kept him out of the elimination final. And then it comes down to other changes. So Nick Hind, you would think it'd be a good chance to play. And, and I would imagine, boys, based on height, for all the defensive options, they've probably got to pick a Dylan Robert. And we can't go in with two tall defenders. We need the three. And Dylan Robert hasn't played since round one, which is way back pre-lockdown the first time in, in March, but I think he's got to get 
got to get a crack at it because I'd like Wilkie to play on Martin when he rests forward. He held Martin goalless for 62 minutes as a forward back in round four. Um, Dougal Howard could take probably Lynch and then Dylan Robertson will have the task of playing on Jack Rewald. Yeah, it's probably, probably, probably a lineup that probably is likely. Um, Battle being back, uh, I believe he's going to be back in the team. Um, he He's probably going to have to take up that defensive role that he has played before. Um, I think he's possibly that wild card that we can put down there, sort of just half watching someone, half fill in the, fill in the space. Um, we know how, how hard he is at the ball. We know he can, he, he can read it really well. He's a good, good disposal. So yeah, uh, him coming back in will be a huge help for us. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's not all, I guess, doom and gloom losing Jake. We have got a capable player coming back in. We've got, um, definitely we have backup, which is good. So it's, yeah, not as bad as it is. We, where other years we would have been like, we've got absolutely no one left. We've got players that can come in and play roles now. Yeah, it's an interesting one. The, the battle one's really interesting because had it just been Paddy Ryder injured, then Marshall moves from forward to full-time ruck. Battle goes forward, at centre-half forward, Max Key in the goal square. Um, and it's, it's pretty easy. But Carlisle missing two and Battle being a bit of a, a swingman and, and really versatile, it's, it's really where they, where they feel he's going to be most damaging and most impactful. And, and like you said, I kind of feel like he almost he's best suited in this role this particular week, going back to be that kind of semi centre half back, like you said, kind of half half on a man, half loose man in defence, third man up kind of guy. The way that he reads the play, uh, his foot skills out of half back, really good, really valuable. Especially, you know, when we're missing a guy like Ben Long, who's both hard at the ball but also really skillful, um, and you know the ability to hit targets. We we need to replace that. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see someone, if we don't bring in Robertson to play, I guess, that that key back role, then for Battle to go back and to bring in someone like a Webster um, to replace Long, I think he's 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 got a bit of that tough nut at him, but he also the ability to, to, to move the ball forward and, and kick Long and, and break lines. Um, and I feel like it's either him or Shane Savage that comes in for that role. If... if we don't bring in a, a, a Robertson, I guess, um, because there there is talk that you know those guys, and especially Webster, can can potentially play on the, a, a mid-sized forward, not just a small forward, but a mid-sized forward. Um, but it is it's going to be a really interesting week at the selection table. I think probably the most the most interesting week of of outs and ins that that we've had all year, uh, just because of the nature of the outs and, and how important all of those guys are to our structure. Um, but yeah, very, very interesting. I think battle, battle Robertson and, and probably Webster for, for me, are the ones that come in. Probably need to go a little bit less predictable in the forward line, given the way that Richmond structure, I mean, they're, they're more about structure rather than you know, sheer brilliance on, on every line. They've got some superstars, but their system and structure stands up better than, than most just about ever have. So um, the, the reality is that it's clearly going to be a 
a significant challenge for us, but that's why we've got to come up with something unpredictable and we've got to start well, just punch them in the nose early, get off to a good start, put some doubts into their head. I said, we're not the worst matchup for them. I mean, we acknowledge that they're the best side in it, but um, in the last few years, they haven't really got hold of us that much. Uh, I think our record... You do match up pretty well. Yeah, it would be 50-50 against them in the last three or four years, I would suggest. Um or close to, and, and even in the losses, I think we're all over them at the G in 2018, and last year we were a goal down with five minutes to go or something, and at Docklands we were no good, so um, it's it's not an awful matchup, but obviously it's a final, and, and they've been there a thousand times before, and, and they'll be smarting from last week, and a lot of key players had bad days, like Rewalt and Martin, so I, I don't... And Lynchback. Uh, yeah, that's right. I don't underestimate the statement. I, I did legitimately message my father uh at the day of recording this podcast and said, and I firmly believe this to be the case, that if St Kilda beats Richmond on Friday night is the greatest victory in the history of the football club. I can't imagine a, a, a victory under the circumstances. So six-day break, um, they get a star back there at full strength. We lose four or five players. Uh, our lack of experience compared to theirs, their record, um, it would be the greatest win in the history of the club if we went on Friday night, I would think. 97 prelim. Might go close. Close, but we, we probably were going a fraction better than they were at that stage. And I know mm. we didn't have Spider, but um, we, we had finished on top, I guess. But, um, yeah, sim- similar, I would say, in terms of the significance of it. But, yeah, if we could, mm. I reckon it's our best ever win if we win there. So do we do a similar thing this week as well? Do we have gears going forward and being accountable for Hooley? Um, that's... Basically, you, you use him to keep Loston or Grimes away from the ball, potentially. Yeah, it's they've got a, they've got a few of these players who pick up a few possessions out the back and are good ball users. So just a bit a bit more pressure on them, make them make them need to think two ways, make them accountable for some, and at the same time put pressure on them using the ball. Um, it, it, I think we did it for a while against against them the first time. Um, Hawley was. While he got a bit of the ball, he wasn't overly effective with it. Um, it, it just if you get in that get in the head that thinking, oh, okay, if I miss this kick, the ball's going to go back over my head, and I've got an opponent behind me. So it put, puts that extra pressure on him to actually hit up a target and get get the ball moving in their direction, and then having to go, okay, I've got to run back now. So yeah, it, I think we the other things we look at, we got. Um, Rose going to have to go up against uh, Nankervis, who reasonable ruckman. Um, he's didn't play too badly last week watching the game. Watching their game, um, but I, if he, he has he has a good night, I think he can cover him. Um, it's it's going to be more around the ground because Rose is a bit more mobile, so he'll be able to get to position a bit quicker, and so it's just a matter of okay. We might not win the taps as much because he's a bigger player, but let's try. Let's get to the feed and try to get the ball out of there. Their mids are very good. Let Let's try to be the first one to the ball. Um, they were and Paddy Paddy Ryder's given him a chop out for the second half of the season, and he should be should be pretty fit and fresh, and, fresh. Yep. and running running on top of the ground. So hopefully that's that's put him in good stead to to kind of reclaim that number one ruck mantle. Yep, we yep. know how good he was at it in the first half of the year and and last year. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, so it's a big game for him. Um, as I was saying before, if he can 
he can be three quarters as good as what Paddy was last week. He, we're one step of the way to getting over the top of him. It's um, first. It's the first part of the game. The ball's he's the ruckman. He's the first one up. If he can control that, then yeah, we get down the steel, get down the Ross, get down to basically whoever we're moving through to midfield at that time. If but if we're not winning the hitouts, that's where we need to start looking at what they're doing. Make sure we're in front of their in front of their midfielders. Make them make them uncomfortable with what they what their usual game plan is. So it's basically as Paco says, hit him on the nose early. Mm. Make make them try to think. Okay, that's not working. What can we do next? And then yeah, try to run over top of them. And take, I really, I was going to yeah, say, I, give you sixteen shots a goal, kick eleven goals five or twelve goals. Yeah. Take your chances. And I really expect there to be a, a kind of an opening term statement from Jack Steele. I mean, he, he had 16 touches last week, but he certainly wasn't his dominant self that we've, we've become used to this season. He wasn't as, as influential as, say, a, a Hunter Clark or a, a Nick Caulfield or, or a, f- a few of the other guys, you know, Dan Hannabry through the middle. So um, I really expect him to, to get back to his best. I think he is kind of a statement game for him to, for, you know, finals game against a really tough solid midfield to, to really put his stamp on on this season where, you know, he, he goes into a, a Brownlow medal count in a couple of weeks as, as you know, yes, fairly long at, at 13 or $15, but he's, he's going to be the, the third or fourth favourite for the Brownlow. Yeah, and he's probably going to finish on the podium or close to it. You would say Lockie Neal is going to be very hard to beat, but yeah, Brisbane did expose her a couple of things just before halftime. I know Richmond will have learned from it, but Brisbane annoyed them. They gave away 50-metre penalties. They got frustrated. They got into fights. Um, it shows that you can get under their skin a little bit. And I reckon there was a moment just before halftime where Brisbane would have looked at each other and thought, shit, we could win. Um, we, we just rattled them a little bit here. And um, we've just got to give ourselves that moment. Don't let them dictate the game. Just let them chase us. If they run us down because they're too good, so be it bow your hat and just say good on you, go on and win another flag. But um, just give ourselves a chance to, uh, you know, ask them some questions, make them, make them have to dig deep and they might not get up. It might not don't, work. Don't be, don't be scared. We've shown yeah. that we can, we can match it with, you know, the best teams in the competition. Um, you, you, teams like Collingwood that, that got away from us, you know, we had a bad game, but we've shown we can, we can beat Richmond. We've shown that we can play well against Brisbane and Port Adelaide and, and the best teams in the competition. So don't be scared. You've earned your right to be there this week. Don't be scared. Go and make them accountable and, and play, play our brand of football. Spot on. Spot on. Uh, we obviously hope either way we'll be back um, next week in some capacity. We're hoping we're previewing a preliminary final that we would enter as the only team that has beaten Port Adelaide and Adelaide this year. So we've beaten Richmond. We've beaten Port. Uh, they're two sides that, that stand in our way. If we get Brisbane, we only lost them by two points as well. So there's, apart from the, yes, there's personnel issues, but there's nothing about the fixture itself that should frighten us. Uh, you acknowledge that you're going to play very good teams at this time of year. And to any Richmond fans that do listen, I know you guys get very, very precious when someone suggests that you're not the kings of the world. You are, it's okay. But hopefully you're not come Friday night. Hopefully you're dethroned. Um, and we, we can go a step to, uh, towards taking that, uh, that mantle from you. You're the team to beat. And hopefully that's exactly what happened. So uh, go Saints for the semi-final. It's fantastic to be alive at this stage of the year. 
and uh, an opportunity to, to uh, work our way through to a preliminary final. So enjoy Friday night. Hopefully it is enjoyable and not too nervous, but massive opportunity away. Regardless of all, of all the theories and the strategies in all this, all it is is basically this. The ability to win the ball under pressure, select the right option and execute it correctly. And the other thing is when you haven't got the ball is the ability to apply pressure to the players at all stages. Just give it everything you've got for the first quarter. Just play the first quarter as though it's the, the last thing you're going to do on earth. I don't care what bad luck we encounter, how the ball bounces, what the man in white is going to do. First of the ball, hard at it, body over it, and just never stop trying until the game is over and won. You've earned this opportunity. Don't waste it, regardless of what goes on out on the ground. When you get out on the field, make sure you look your opponent in the eye. Walk up before the match starts and look right at him. Simple, basic stuff. We run with the ball, we hand pass long, we run through the lines, and we kick it strong and long and direct. If you're going to advertise to the world that your father has raised a son who's a little bit timid, well then go and play tennis, play another game. And long as we have the respect of each other, the respect of our supporters and the respect of the football community, then we have known we have done our best. This is our big moment. Not just another game. If it is to be, it is up to me. Victory will only come from a team effort. You've got to find the will to get up and go on with it. If you get knocked down to get up again. Just never, never, never give in or give up in any way. Screw up your courage and we won't fail. Don't come back years up the track and say, I wish I could have my time all over again. What you got to do if you're going to win this game today? Not only you got to play it moment by moment, contest by contest, quarter by quarter, and regardless of what the scores is, do not accept what's going on. Bring it onto the ground. Don't have it here in theory or words from my mouth. Take it out there. Just do something. Don't think about it all. Just do something. And let's win this match. When the occasions come, lead by example. Lift yourself and win the contest. That will win the game. In every game, there is going to be a crossroad. And when you get to that crossroad, you either step up or you step down. It is entitled all up to you. You make the decision, not me.